Legitimating myths had to be propagated by religious or ideological specialists. This opened up a wide gap between a relatively skilled ruling class and the population as a whole, which consisted mainly of scattered, illiterate peasants who lacked the skills needed to cope with politics at a distance. And along with that gap, economic inequality increased dramatically. This inequality was sustained throughout history and into the early capitalist era. At first, industrialization led to the ruthless exploitation of workers, with low wages, long workdays, no labor laws, and the suppression of union organizing. Eventually, however, the continuation of the Industrial Revolution narrowed the gap between elites and masses by redressing the balance of political skills. Urbanization brought people into close proximity. Workers were concentrated in factories, facilitating communication. And the spread of mass literacy put them in touch with national politics, all of which led to social mobilization. In the late 19th century and early 20th century, unions won the right to organize, enabling workers to bargain collectively. The expansion of the franchise gave ever more people the vote and leftist political parties mobilized the working class to fight for its economic interests. The result was the election of governments that adopted various kinds of redistributive policies. Progressive taxation, social insurance, and an expansive welfare state that caused inequality to decline for most of the 20th century. The emergence of a post-industrial society, however, changed the game once again. The success of the modern welfare state made further redistribution seem less urgent. Non-economic issues emerged that cut across class lines, with identity politics and environmentalism drawing some wealthier voters to the left, while cultural issues pushed many in the working class to the right. Globalization and deindustrialization undermined the strength of unions, and the information revolution helped establish a winner-take-all economy. Together, these eroded the political base for redistributive policies, and as those policies fell out of favor, economic inequality rose once more. Today, large economic gains are still being made in developed countries, but they are going primarily to those at the very top of the income distribution, whereas those lower down have seen their real incomes stagnate or even diminish. The rich, in turn, have used their privilege to shape policies that further increase the concentration of wealth, often against the wishes and interests of the middle and lower classes. The political scientist Martin Guylens, for example, has shown that the U.S. government responds so attentively to the preferences of the most affluent 10% of the country's citizens that, under most circumstances, the preferences of the vast majority of Americans appear to have essentially no impact on which policies the government does or doesn't adopt. Because advantages tend to be cumulative, with those born into more prosperous families receiving better nutrition and health care, more intellectual stimulation and better education, and more social capital for use in later life, there is an enduring tendency for the rich to get richer and the poor to be left behind. The extent to which this tendency prevails, however, depends on a country's political leaders and political institutions.
which in turn tend to reflect the political pressures emerging from mobilized popular forces in the political system at large. The extent to which inequality increases, or decreases in other words, is ultimately a political question. Today the conflict is no longer between the working class and the middle class. It is between a tiny elite and the great majority of citizens. This means that the crucial questions for future politics in the developed world will be how and when that majority develops a sense of common interest. The more current trends continue, the more pressure will build up to tackle inequality once again. The signs of such a stirring are already visible, and in time, the practical consequences will be as well. Not about the money. For the first two-thirds of the 20th century, working-class voters in developed countries tended to support parties of the left, and middle- and upper-class voters tended to...